this is Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. You are listening to the Carrero Podcast. Today, our guest is Judith, or Judy Sandvik. She is a teacher in Chino Valley Unified School District, located in Southern California. She came into teaching via the business sector. As a teacher, she leads in-services in a variety of areas for school and teachers. Welcome, Judy. Thanks so much, Judy, for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit more about your advisor and your professor who inspired you and what were they like and what stood out to you about them? Um, yeah, it was his name was Rick. And what I liked about him, he, he said something that just has stuck with me since then. He said, don't ever feel stuck in what you do. He was a marketing major and he went into sales with a big company and he hated it, but he looked for the things that he did like about it. And he, um, he always made sure he could do those things. So he then went on eventually to, he, to teach and he said he will always find time to teach because he loves doing that. But he also developed his own marketing company. So when he was also my professor for several of my classes and he had us as students, he asked his clients if they would allow us to do the marketing proposals for them. And so we actually got to go do marketing proposals for these clients of his. One was Estee Lauder. One was um, a company that they were looking to purchase an airplane. Did they buy Hmm. used? They buy new. We had to do the whole marketing presentation for them in Los Angeles. So I love that Mm hands-on. I love the, um, just that advice that don't ever feel like you're stuck. You're never, don't feel like you need to stay with something for 20 years that you hate because you feel like that's your major and you can't do anything else. Yeah. So I've, I've taken that and I've tried to apply that to my life too. That really made a big impression on me. So from, from that, so you got to have all these super real experiences uh, in your undergraduate program, which is, which is cool. And which is what we always try to talk to teachers about. Um, And we hear their stories on how they try to create these authentic learning experiences for their students. You went from doing wedding trade shows into teaching, which is quite a leap. So how did that happen? So I, I loved what I did. I loved the, I loved the teaching part of it. Um, the company that I worked for, the people were experiencing some financial difficulties. And so it made me rethink when my paycheck is bouncing, it made me rethink <laughs> what I need to do with my life. So I tried to do a lot of self-reflection. Um, what did I like about what I did? What did I not like about what I did? I did not like calling people to do sales calls, but I did love teaching. I loved helping people with what they needed, um, finding out what they knew, what they didn't know, how I can help them improve their business. I liked that part. I liked the teaching part. I liked the cycle of it, of having a beginning and an ending time. And so my my family, I have a family of educators. My mom was a teacher. My sister's a teacher. My brother-in-law's a teacher. My grandparents were teachers. And I never wanted to be a teacher, <laughs> uh, but I decided I, I rearranged my schedule to, to go see, you know, maybe this will be more family friendly. My husband and I were talking about starting a family. Um, so I went to, I was able to arrange my schedule to go to her school and sit in her classroom to see the reality of teaching. You always hear what you think it's going to be like, but until you experience it um, firsthand, it's, it's a little bit of a different animal. So I was able to go to her classroom. She had first graders. Uh, her principal allowed me to go to other classrooms, different grade levels. And I spent about four months doing that in the morning. Wow. Two to three mornings a week, just to make sure I really wanted to do yeah. that because it, what I had to do is I quit work and went back to school full time mm-hmm. for my uh, credential, my master's. And 
best decision I ever made, honestly. So then can you can you walk us through that that first week of actual teaching? Because because here you go from from the private sector, mm-hmm. which um and 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 everything in which you were you were saying is that you're you're kind of organized. Mm-hmm. You're you're very methodical. Mm-hmm. Um which for me is weird because I'm <laughs> I'm not. As you can look here, it's it's all <laughs> organized chaos. Yeah. yeah. Um, so walk us walk us through that through that first week, um, and and if you could share with us any type of what were you thinking? Um, you know how how was it? Well, so I I did do a little bit of substituting, so I had that a little teeny bit of experience of walking into other classrooms. I like most teachers, you don't often come up with something unique. You just use what somebody else has and tweak it for your own. So I took pictures. I took notes of every class I was into, including <laughs> my sisters and everybody at her school and took their advice and really tried to learn from that. So the first week was, uh, you know, still the first week is always a little bit nerve wracking because you don't know who, what kind of kids you're going to get, what you're walking into. But um, I walked into a situation, I was actually hired at my sister's school in her grade level. And she had an amazing, wow. amazing team. Um, and they were wonderful. It could not have been a better experience. So I did have to, I, my, I was allowed two days to get my classroom ready, which was nice. Um, I, I, they were splitting a combo class and I was getting the first graders. So the kids had already been in school for two weeks. So I was al- allowed to get my classroom ready. So that allowed me to kind of get prepared. Um, the first time it was a little weird. And um, now you say I'm very methodical. I am for some, for things at work, but there's also a lot of, things, oh, let's go do this or let's go do that. So it's not always, <laughs> I try to have the structure and then things take off from there. And um, so it was, um, it was a little strange. It's, you know, teaching tiny people instead of big people <laughs> was a little different. Uh, but there, you know, to me, teaching is teaching, whether you're teaching adults, whether you're teaching kids, you're still imparting information and helping them learn and grow. So it, it wasn't, awful. It was, okay. it was I just teaching is teaching to me. So then can you also share with us, uh, because I, I know within teacher, teacher edu- education programs, how I, how I taught them, we, we always ask for, for students teaching philosophy. Um, can you share with us how, how that philosophy has changed throughout the years? I'm a little more relaxed, <laughs> <laughs> um, a bit more confident. Uh, my philosophy, I think, is um, I try to let the kids guide more of what we're doing oh, as opposed okay. to me you know, being just really a regiment and we're going to do yeah. this. And, and and just over the years of learning, of developing curriculum and writing curriculum, I just like the kids. I know when the kids take ownership of it and when they get excited about it, they can A, do amazing things. And it's kind of fun to go in that way and teach the standards, but it doesn't have to be a specific program. It can just be whatever we can use to, to teach that standard for them to learn it. So I guess I've just gotten more relaxed about that. I've also gotten more relaxed about they have to know this at this exact time because kids develop differently. So they're going to get it. They're going to get it. Even if you're, if you're exposing them, some might get it come in already knowing something. Some might not get it till the middle of the year, but if you use the strategies, if you work with them, they're going to eventually get it. And if not, we'll find ways to help them do that. Yeah. Cause it's for, for myself as a, again, I still think of myself as a high school 
teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, for for myself, that that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But me not ever having st- well, I was a substitute for K, like kindergarten through fifth, mm-hmm. and I realized that, that I hate those kids. <laughs> um, so it's so it's <laughs> difficult for me to understand that that an elementary school teacher would allow kids to take ownership. Can you can you? Explain that for us, secondary people. Yes. Yeah, so, so for example, we um, just the other day we were doing a little scholastic news science thing, and it was talking about an Arctic fox that had traveled from Norway to Canada, ended up being went over twenty five hundred miles, which, which was unusual. So the kids had all kinds of questions. Well, what? How do they do that? What do they eat? So we went on a forty five minute tangent of oh, just okay. researching things and looking for videos and finding out where this was and where that was. And what do they eat? What kind of habitat do they have? Which are all the NGSS standards for us for the animal habitats, but it was not what I had planned. But we just segued into that and spent 45 minutes of not doing what we were supposed to do and doing that (laughs) instead, which they loved it. They Mm -hmm. were excited. They learned about animal habitats. And um, we had fun. And they probably (laughs) left that class and they were like, oh, we got her off on a tangent for 45 minutes and it was so fun. And meanwhile, they're learning and they don't even realize it, which is the right. best kind of learning. Yeah. And that's, so that's when I say ownership of their own learning, that's kind of okay. what, and, and then them knowing that they are responsible for their own learning. I can't shove it in their brain. They've got to actually learn it. So. Yeah. Can you tell us about some of the projects that you and your students may have conducted? Um, sure. We have, um, we do at the end of the year, we always do a zoo project or a half of the last four years, where it's kind of the culminating math project for them and they are zookeepers they have to design their own zoos they have to they've got a certain amount of money fictional money um that they purchase animals they have to design the enclosures in a certain amount of square footage they have a graph paper that they design and making sure that they can people can walk and view the exhibits they have to um design the feeding schedule each animal has a certain amount of time they need to feed. so they they have to just they have to use all their math learning from the year um, to design their zoo. And it's about a three-week project. They work on a little bit each day, um, including I throw some marketing in there too because they have to graph which exhibits are the most frequently visited and which ones are not. Mm-hmm. And they have to get more foot traffic by the ones who that they need more more um, visitors. So it's just, it's, it's kind of a fun project that they are showing everything that they learned in math. Uh, another thing I do is expert projects, uh, which is, is optional. And the students get to choose a subject and learn everything they can about it. And they actually, they teach it to the class at the end of the year. So we're starting right now. Um, The kids are meeting with me, meeting with their parents um, to make sure they're okay with that because it's mostly um, done at home. They can do research at school, but if they're doing interviews or field trips or anything like that, then they, um, that needs to be done through home. So I've had kids do, how to become a cardiac thoracic surgeon and researching the the (laughs) best schools to go to, what it takes, what they actually do. Um, I've had kids do the history of chocolate, the migration of butterflies, how to run a a warm-up before a track meet. Oh, very (laughs) good. And actually have coaches come out and run the warm-up for the track meet. Mm -hmm. Um, Just anything that they want to learn about, and teach the class is for them. So I have a timeline for them where they have to turn in their sources that they're using. Is it interviews? Is it internet? Is it books? Is it um, field trips? Whatever it might be. 
and they so that it's just to help them with the project management so they're not trying to do this two days before mm-hmm. um, and then they, they present it in may so what, what what grade level second grade wow second so, grade so there's second graders that are interested in being thoracic or mm-hmm. with cardiac cardiac thoracic surgeon wow geez yeah. that's amazing <laughs> That she could even pronounce it. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what she wanted to do, and she knew that from the get-go. So, um, yeah, how to build a swimming pool. One boy was having a swimming pool built in his backyard. Whoa. So he was interviewing the workers and taking pictures. Oh, that's so and, cool. Yeah, oh, so whatever they're cool. interested in. Yeah, um, yeah so my, my goal for next year, um, I want to have – we used to have a school garden, and it got demolished when they put in other buildings – um, but I want to have a small garden, just a small container garden, and I want to have the kids try to research how we can effectively water it without wasting anything. So mm-hmm. that's my goal for next year. Oh, cool. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I, I have two new people. There's only three people on my team, and two of them are brand new. So this okay. year has been, I meant to do it this year, but this year has been kind of taking up with leading them along the way and helping them a lot. So that got pushed to the wayside, and um, so... So then um, you're, you're kind of alluding to kind of a lot of the skills that you, that you have. Can you talk about the different types of skills that you brought from the private sector into teaching? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think being able to speak in front of crowds, I don't mind talking in front of people, being able to read what people know, what they need, um, and be able to tailor what I'm saying to that. So if I'm talking to an audience of educators, I'm not going to start with the basics because they know the basics. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to, I don't know, any educator who loves the 10 minutes of icebreakers. So we're not, you know, we're not going to do that kind of stuff. Um, Where if it's, if it's people who don't know each other or a different type of audience, I'm going to be um, just tailoring to that. So when I was in the private sector, when I would, I would do private consultations or maybe with two or three people, that would be different than teaching a group seminar. So just kind of tailoring things to what the needs are for the, the group that is, um, that I'm speaking to. Um, having structure and organization, making sure I can prioritize hmm. what needs to be done when you're on a timeline, um, which I think is any job, but knowing that this has to be done before this can be done and just making sure I'm prioritizing that. And I, know, I think just having a different perspective. I know see a lot of times education can be its own little insular world. Yeah. And coming from the, I want to say the real world, it's not the real, it's the working <laughs> outside private sector world. Um, it's just a different perspective, how people look at education, how, um, how things are run as far as keeping your job, doing your job. You know, I know in the private sector, if some things were happening like they do sometimes in education, those people would not have jobs. Yep. And you know, I, I, would not, I would not mind if someone came in and changed that because most teachers are very good at doing their jobs and they are there because mm-hmm. they want to help the students. But there are some that are just there punching the clock and they yeah. should be held accountable for that. And if they're not going to step up to the plate, then they should not be there. And that's having that perspective. I've always brought that to my job too, knowing that you just need to do the job. And yep. And I think you get, you get that in all areas of work, right? Like in every job you get the person who's just phoning it in. So um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately I feel like the impact is greater in education because you're 
affecting students who, you know, it just becomes cyclical and can um, create holes in their foundational knowledge, which is harder to, to work around as they go through school. Um, you mentioned that you have two new team members, so I'm assuming that you provide a lot of training and support and mentoring for them. But um, I also read that you do provide a lot of in-service and training for your colleagues. Can you talk about a little bit what you do in those in-services? Sure. Um, I have done in-services from just my own staff or my own team to all of second grade for the whole district to second grade teachers just from our feeder schools to the high school uh, I've done training on gate um, education, on writing, on ELD. Um, I was on a curriculum writing committee for five years for ELA. So led in services with myself and, or, or with a team on that and on right now on math um, curriculum. So it could be, uh, do you want to know what we talked about or just, or. Yeah, maybe like the, the, um, the the topics and then also the way that you delivered the okay. in service that that so I I really like to do the hands on things so mm-hmm. we're doing the ELA curriculum when I was leading that um, I had everybody on their computer and walking you know going through it and looking at what we're doing uh, when we were writing it we also at the end of each unit we put in a project and um, so that we could make sure the kids were having a culminating project that they worked on and could present and and do some um, project learning. And we talked a little bit about that, just walking them through it, had them do a few things themselves as well, just so they could see um, what it was like. That one was a team presentation. So of course we had PowerPoint and we were showing them, but it was a lot of hands-on as well. And then getting together as uh, their grade level, their, their feeder group to develop things together and to work together on that. Because I know as teachers, having that planning time and that time to actually do something that you can take with you back to the classroom can be precious. Yeah. So instead of just listening to someone. The yeah, participants like, that come to that in-service, is it just voluntary or is it like an no. in-service release day from school? In-service release day from school for okay. some more training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that we've had some that were at our school um, on the writing, on the gate curriculum, um, the staff meetings, they're, they're, they, none of them were voluntary. They were all, mm-hmm. you need to be there. <laughs> yeah, which can one be good and bad, just, right? So it's good for the presenter because you know you have people there, but then also it can be bad for the presenter because you might have people who are just disinterested. But, and that happens all the time. There's and same as a classroom, right? Like you get that same same thing with kids in your, yes. in your class. So. This is just bigger people. Yeah. <laughs> they're all engaged. That's right. I had one where my principal, the former principal, it was our minimum day. And we got back to class 15, well, it was about 30 minutes before school was out. And he walked up to me and said, you're better at this than I am. And he handed me the folder I need you to present after school today. Talking about the in-services and talking about your um, classroom projects too. Can you share with us any unique or fun unit plans or things that that you've done where, where there's been... Where, where, where students may have come on back and said, well, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we started doing a hero project. Um, one of our social studies units is on people who make a difference. And we try to talk to these children about how 
it isn't just famous people. It could be the person who collects your trash. It could be, you know, community yeah. people as well. So it doesn't have to be somebody famous who did something huge, although we do study the inventors. We study people who've, who've made a big impact on our country, but also who makes a big impact on your own personal world. Um, so the kids get to choose a community worker. They have to write a letter to somebody in that role. And I try to find people who are in that role that I can bring the letters to that they will answer back or to um, email the letters to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do research, they can, they do interviews and then they come together. They, they make a project that they present. And I've heard from parents and from kids that it was really fun for them. And it was impactful for them to understand that it isn't just somebody famous that could be a hero that somebody like you, you look up to. It could be somebody in your family. It could be, mm-hmm. you know, you don't think about garbage collectors as being heroes, but what would happen if they never did that? Yeah. You know, so it really brings it home to them and parents have loved the fact that they're look interviewing, that they're talking to people, that they're looking at their own um, narrow world yeah. right now, um, as well as the world at large. Well, because I'm, I'm thinking then what the what the next logical step is, is then we could empower them to be, you know, their own hero for mm-hmm. someone else. It, you know, even if it's on the, um, you know, even at, you know, even at school, if there's, if, if they know that there's a kid that's not being invited to play with everyone, they could invite them over or something like that. And we, we do talk about that a lot. Um, oh, nice. about Yeah, that's, I, I'm... Our words this year are kindness, compassion, and self-control. <laughs> Those are our words. Um, self-control has been a lot lately. But it just in fact, just speaking to that um, in music class on Tuesday, one of my students said that they were making groups, and I happened to be in there, and one girl was not, she was looking for a group, and another boy just grabbed her by the arm and said, you can come with us. Aww. And so things like that, it just, awesome. it, it really makes me happy because I try to, foster that culture in our classroom that yeah. you don't have to be best friends, but you do, you need to be kind and compassionate to other people. Mm-hmm. So um, sometimes some days are better than others, but <laughs> we really try to, to foster that environment. Those are good things to live by just because the environment, like outside environment, the news, the political environment are not practicing these kind and compassionate um, values that we're trying to put into kids. And so like, they're surrounded by people just firing back and just retaliating and it just creates an ugly world and it doesn't mm-hmm. make anyone feel very good. So I like that that's something that um, you work on and it's a practice, right? So they're not going to, it's not like once you meet it, then you've got it. It's it's a right. daily practice. For adults as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. So uh, are you going back for your master's currently or did you just finish up? And what prompted you to do that? I got my credential. Oh, you I did. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, because you were already, you already had your bachelor's, and so when you you did the bachelor, um, the credentialing masters together, that's good. So um, I have my teaching credential in Wisconsin, and it was built into my undergrad program. And what they told us when we went to school was. Uh, it's going to be harder to find a job when you have your master's. So get your job and then earn your master's while you're in school. Did you find that it was difficult to get hired as a teacher with your master's and your credential right away? Or, Well, the school that I went to, I went to Claremont Graduate University. It was an internship program. So I actually was hired at the school where I did my observation um, as I had my cred- working on my credential. 
And so I was already a teacher there in the district, hired by the district. So I didn't find it difficult at all, but it was really nice to go from column one, step one on the pay scale to the following year. Yeah. So I was already hired by the district. So I I think had I not been, it might've been more difficult because of course you're getting hired in at a higher salary, Mm -hmm. but because I was already in the district hired, um, it just switched over. That's great. Good. So um, were there any lessons or projects or anything that you learned in your master's program that you felt like really helped contribute and like mold you as a teacher and like the teacher as you are today? Or would you say that was more of the mentors and the teachers that maybe that you might have had in your life? I think it's both. I think in my, well, in my program, we'd had to do a lot of, we had to come up with a thematic unit that there's only 12 to 15 people in each class. Mm-hmm. So it was nice. It was small. Yeah. We had to um, come up with a, a thematic unit that incorporated all the ELD and everything in t- together and then create that for all the other teachers and present at least one day of it. So that was really helpful as a teacher because I was given, not necessarily in my grade level, but I was giving, given all kinds of um, practical lesson yeah. plans I could use. And again, the thematic thing, I love teaching in a mm-hmm. thematic way. So I had done mine on the ocean and um, it was, it was, uh, so that part was good. Yeah. In my own, the mentorship, I mean, my, my love for that came from when I was growing up and how I was taught. And when I was in grade school, the GATE program was a pull-up program. And one year we studied Mexico. And the whole year was built around that. So we studied the culture. We studied the country itself. We had high school students come in and teach us conversational language. We learned the food. We learned, And at the end Fun. of the year, we did a whole day for the family where we mm-hmm. cooked and we presented. And then the following year in third grade, we did the same thing for France. And so I love mm-hmm. just immersing into the, the whole year was built around that. And granted, it was twice a week pull out, so it wasn't a daily thing, but I loved that. And even it, being that little, it's still I still remember that and yeah. loved it. And That's then in junior high, instead of science, we had to take a gate, we had a gate class. And for a month, we had a unit. So we did biology for a month where we were able to dissect cow eyeballs and all kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I remember. Yeah. And I we did um, oceanography where we, our culminating activity, we went out on a boat and took sediment samples and analyzed those wow. and dissected a shark and we were able to yeah. see what the shark had eaten. Um, we had done uh, filmmaking where we had to um, write and direct a play. Mm-hmm. So, and the students were in charge of all of it. We were in charge of all of that. That's so cool. So, like a month long, just immersed in a theme. So that's, I think, where my love for it came because I love learning that way. Yeah. And I get excited about teaching that way. And and I found when the when the teacher's excited about something, mm-hmm. the kids are generally excited about it too, especially at the little ones. Um. So, so you went to school in California, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are just, these topics are just very Californian. So like <laughs> thinking about my experiences growing up, I'm like, there's no way we would have oh, dissected a shark. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, now, I, I think you're one of the interesting things is since you since you got your undergrad in marketing, mm-hmm. um, and then one of the things which I would I would like to know um, what types of courses or what type of changes would would you make within teacher ed? Um, you know, what are some what are some things that that might be missing that 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 we, that we should be adding more? Um, into 
teacher teacher education programs? So my my experience for teacher education was very hands on. It was a, since it was an internship program, it was hardcore for six weeks in the summer, and then I had to get a job while I was taking classes two nights a week. Okay. So for me, so I don't know, it wasn't a traditional teaching program. And then again, that next summer full time, and then um, two more additional courses for masters. But what I did like about it was it was very hands on. It was very applicable. So being able to create the units and teach them to each other, being able to do things like that. So I, I, I'm not big on theory of just sitting in classes and learning about all that. I think you need it for a background, but I think the practical application of being able to design something, see something, go sit in a classroom and watch being in the reality of it, I think is really important. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so as we're, as we're kind of winding down, um, a couple things, if, if you had a magic wand for education, um, what would you want? Uh, first of all, just to trust teachers to do their jobs. And, you know, <laughs> I think like you're saying, Malia, most of the, most jobs have the same thing. You've got 90% who do a great job and you've got about 10% who just don't want to, but then address those 10%. Don't hold all teachers yep. to the micromanaging of, of what they're doing. Just let us teach. Mm -hmm. So that's number one, just respect the profession, respect our professionalism and let us do our job. Um, number two, cut back on the testing. The testing is insane. Yep. And I, I'm a data person, so I want I want to know where my kids are, and mm -hmm. I want to see what I need to do to drive my instruction. But the if I did all the testing that we're supposed to be doing, my kids would have eight to ten tests a week. Yeah. And it's when do you teach? Right. And so we cut that back. But even the district re required tests the two weeks before before winter break. We had um, two district tests to do, plus the teachers had to fill something out too. And the tests are two to two to four days in the computer lab testing. So it's just, it's so much on these little yeah. ones. So then that, I guess that leads me to point three, stop pushing so much so young. Yeah. These kids, these kindergartners are developmentally not able to do what they're being asked to do. I have to, our writing prompts this year, kindergarten's first trimester writing prompt was they had to listen to um, a passage about community in Japan and community in America and give their opinion on which they felt was better oh <laughs> in God. kindergarten. How about making you know, a capital letter and a period at the end of the mm -hmm. sentence? It's, it's, our, our standard is one solid paragraph at the end of second grade with topic, sentence, transitions, conclusion, yeah. all that stuff, and a lot of details. Ours was reading about the um, the Native Americans and the teepee, and we had to read. They had to read three different passages and write a multi-paragraph story on um, informational paragraph paragraphs wow. on why it was the best home for them. Hmm. Not even in our curriculum, and it, it was, it's just it's insane. Yeah, that it's, is pretty It doesn't wild. even make sense for these kids to be pushed so hard. They need to play. Mm -hmm. They need to explore. That's how they learn when they're five and six years old and seven years old. Yeah. Correct. So I just feel like I, if they could just back off that. Mm -hmm. And so politicians, I know, because they want to show that their kids are doing so amazing, but that's not the way to get them to learn better. No. Back off and letting them play and explore, I think, is... Yeah, I've done a lot of research on, and I say research loosely, but I would say reading on Finnish education 
and how little testing they actually do and how much their focus is on building up the love of learning and learning through discovery and play and how students don't take their first test until they're well into high school. And, and it's just, it's the number one education in the world. And that's why. Also, their teacher to student ratio is one teacher to 10 students. So that helps. <laughs> that does help a lot too. <laughs> but. I had just read, I was at a, um, an event and I just heard something that made an impact on me too. And I don't remember who he quoted it from, but it was, our world is not shaped by what we see. Our world is shaped by our questions. Yeah. And to foster that wonder in kids yeah. of being yeah. able to ask mm-hmm. questions. And when they're constantly tested, they don't have that opportunity no. to be able to just discover and think and ask questions. So I yeah. wish that. And that test just builds up that anxiety because then they feel like the stakes are high and then they have to memorize it. And so then they change the reason, the why they need to learn this rather than because they want to, because they're curious. It's because, no, I need to be able to regurgitate, regurgitate this in a week or whatever. Yeah. Yuck. Uh, our last thing, what we like to end our podcast on is we like to ask our guests what your call to action is. And I think maybe you hit on some of this with your magic wand for education, but maybe you could take it in the way of like talking to the individual teacher. Like what would you say is the one thing that the individual teacher should do for their students if they could just take one thing from you? Um, just build the relationship and foster let them know that they're going to be lifelong learners there's never an end to learning and be excited about it that's great i love that judy thanks so much for being on our podcast today enjoyed hearing about your teaching and your philosophy and i appreciate all the work that you do with your students and for your students and for your colleagues so thanks so much thank you for having me Mm -hmm.